Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another of our interviews. And uh, this, today I've got the pleasure of introducing, um, though many of you will know her already, Elizabeth Trotter, who um, is well known for contributing and also editing the Life Overseas um, communal blog. Do please welcome Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, let me say a little bit about Elizabeth first. She, um, she and her husband have served in Cambodia and um, they're now back in the US, but they're very much involved in um, helping people to thrive and do well on the field wherever God has placed them. So that, in that sense, they really share our heart. Okay, so uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much. for. I know you have a lot on your plate, so really grateful that you've um, taken time to be with us today. So Elizabeth, let's start with, um, at the very beginning, with your roots, uh, where you came from and um, how you came to faith and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, I was born into a military family. So I was actually born in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And then when I was a baby, we moved to West Germany. So it was still West Germany at the time. The Berlin Wall was still up. Mm. Um, And I was there until I was about five. And then we came back to the United States. So um, I'm actually a third culture kid myself. Uh, My family stayed in the army until I was in junior high, and then we entered civilian life. And civilian life was was quite the culture shock for all of us, I think. I bet. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And then regarding my faith journey, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, my parents taking me to church um, as a child. And then there was a big influence on my faith from going to Bible camps and church camps, and that um, always drew me closer to God. Uh, taught me to love worshiping God through song and um, taught taught me about him. And I believe that was a big part of my faith journey. Okay. That's great. Um, To have all that, all that, all those influences um, on your life when you were uh, that young. That's great. Um, And then where did you meet your husband and how did the romance blossom and all that? (laughs) So we were high school sweethearts. We met in high school at church. His family had been at this church his whole life or nearly his whole life. And my family had just started going. So in Bible class, I don't remember what he said, but he said something and I thought it sounded so wise. So I was smitten pretty fast. Um, But we quickly became friends because we were interested in the same types of things, the same music and the same books and the same ideas. Uh, So we stayed friends throughout high school, and um, then in our senior year, we started dating, although at the time we called it courting, and then about a year later, we got married, so we got married in the year 2000. And wow, how old are you then? I was 18, so I was really young. <laughs> <laughs> That's when uh, I met my husband, but we I had to wait for another um, six and a half years before we actually got married. To get married. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, we were really young. 
And then we were young when we had children as well. So I was 22 when we had our first. Mm-hmm. Um, our ch- We have four kids. Uh, we have two boys and two girls. And our oldest is off at college just this year. He's a freshman. And then my next is 16. So he's in 11th grade. And then I've got two girls, ages 12 and 13. But we're about to have birthdays in our family. So they're actually two years apart. Um, so... Yeah, I homeschool them all and have from the beginning. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll come on to that because um, first of all, let's talk about the, the your original call to missions. I mean, how how did you land up in Cambodia? Was that after you both had careers, or you know, you were mothering, weren't you? You were at home. But yes, um, I was. How about your husband? What, what was he? Um, was that out of a clear blue sky that you felt a call to go to Cambodia, or what? Well, it felt like it at the time. Um, but my husband had always wanted to be in missions. He was interested in missionary aviation as a child. Mm-hmm. He read Jungle Pilot and the stories of Nate Saint. Um, and so he'd always wanted to do that, but we got married really young. So we kind of shelved that. And I was, I do not think I was interested in that. I was just interested in being in love. Um, and in the meantime, when we were newly married, we got involved in youth ministry and really just fell in love with youth ministry. So we did it on a volunteer basis. And eventually um, he took a paid position at a church. So we were doing that. Um, And then he also had a nursing degree. So he was working in an emergency department in an urban hospital and he was watching people die. And this Mm. really shook him. Um, I, I still remember the first time he came home and had seen someone die and it it stayed with him all weekend. It had happened on a Friday and it bothered him all weekend. So he was seeing this on a regular basis and it just, it changed him, kind of re-inspired him uh, to, to want to do mission work again. And so, and he kind of sprang this on me one time when I was <laughs> newly postpartum sitting, nursing the baby. Um, I have complicated births and I knew I wanted to have another baby um, cause that was our third. And he just said, I want to go into missions. And I was just sitting there nursing my baby. And I thought, but I want to have another baby. And I didn't want to do that in a developing country. Um, so I kind of freaked out, um, new information. It takes a long time for me to process. So I'm not super great with transitions anyway. And we'll talk about transition. I think later on when we talk yeah. about COVID, yeah. um, but I totally freaked out. Now, some of that was because I had some legitimate concerns about giving birth in another country. And I'm glad that I was able to have my fourth baby in America. It was extremely complicated birth and postpartum. So I was very thankful to be able to give birth in America before we moved overseas. And some of it was um, misunderstanding what missions is really like. You know, I thought everybody lived in a jungle. And I didn't want to live in a jungle (laughs) and lug my own water and my own firewood and all that sort of stuff. So some of it just took more education to understand that there's plenty of missionaries who live in cities. Mm -hmm. um, Or even if you live in a village, you can have some better technology than what I was envisioning. And then some of it was just fear. Just um, I was just afraid. And so I had to work through a lot of that. So it took us about 18 months. There were ups and downs and thinking I was okay and then not being okay. And it 
it was very confusing, I think, for my husband, because I would think I was okay. Yes, we can go. And then I would pull back and be so scared and say, no, we can't. So it was about 18 months. But then um, at the end of that, we had um, some experiences of prayer with our elders at church and just on our own that I really finally felt called to go. And so, and he was also willing to stay at that point, but then we decided to, to go. So both, both to be willing to go, well, however God leads, but, you know, to have that willingness both ways, yes. really important. Yeah. So that you can go with one heart and know that whatever you're, you're facing, you're facing together. It's great. Right. And I knew going in, I wasn't, it was like, I had to give up this idea that it was his idea. And oh, if something went wrong, I could blame him because we really did go together. Right. That's great. And so what did he go to do? Or what did you collect both go to do? Yeah, well, I had my kids already. And so we were planning that I would stay with them and homeschool them for most most of the time. Um, he went to do church planting work um, with our organization. Mm -hmm. And um, and we decided on Cambodia because the agency kind of suggested that we look into it. So when we applied with the agency, we said, we don't know where in the world, don't have a call to a specific place. And they suggested Cambodia because my husband's dad had wanted to go to Cambodia. He was a dentist. He wanted to be a medical missionary. Mm -hmm. um, but he uh, got cancer and died before he was able to go. And so they just said, well, to kind of continue this, this his legacy, uh, perhaps you could look into Cambodia, not to lock us in, but just to consider. And so we took a trip. He took a trip first. And then because I was pregnant with um, with our fourth. So he took the trip first. And then later I was able to take a trip with him and we just fell in love. So we said, OK, we'll do Cambodia. Mm -hmm. um, and church planting was the focus because that's the focus of the agency. Um, but then, I don't know, probably the first year we were there, my husband was praying. He was at a conference and they were leading him in prayer. And he was asking God about his um, ministry and what it would look like in Cambodia. And he felt like God told him, your ministry is going to have two pillars, um, a ministry to young people which we had already done youth ministry, but young people is not just youth ministry, it also extends into people in their twenties. So he was thinking that, and then also um, heart focused counseling and pastoral care. And he didn't have any training in that, but we had received some really helpful pastoral care before we left. Um, and so that kind of surprised him because he was thinking just straight up church planting. And so that kind of, shifted what he was doing and he got extra training and different things and so that's what he ended up doing it went through you know several iterations of, of different types of training and then he was doing that in Cambodia until COVID hit and right. it was easy to translate that to something more worldwide with member care because everyone was going to zoom right indeed <laughs> Um, so um, the, the agency was fine with that switch and focus for him? Yes, and the member care team was really happy to have him, actually, because okay. there weren't any men on the member care team at that time. Mm -hmm. So they were happy to approve that that request. Great, great. Um, so preparing to go, did you, um, what kind of uh, 
pre-field training did you get, uh, cross-cultural training in particular, and then and orientation as well? Did you get orientation to the Khmer um, culture and all that? Yeah, so our agency first had us do their two-week orientation and a one-week course called Kairos. I don't yeah. know if you've heard of oh, Perspectives mm. and Kairos yet. So Kairos is like the abbreviated version of this long nine-month course called Perspectives. It's a it's a worldview um, course. So we took that and that was really life-changing. Um, kind of just shifted the way we looked at the Bible and God's heart for all people. So even though we wanted to go into missions, I think we still needed that help just seeing the fingerprints all over, all over scripture. Mm -hmm. And then we were required to take five weeks of training at MTI, which is in Colorado in the United States. It's called Mission Training International. Mm -hmm. um, so they had cultural training and language training acquisition. Uh, and that was really helpful. So it taught us about transition and goodbyes and culture shock and paradox and what we call the yay ducks and the yuck ducks, which is all the, the good things that happen at the same time as the bad things and learning to just accept that they're kind of coming at the same time. Um, so that was really helpful language for when we actually did transition and to help your kids have a la language for it. Um, and also okay. the language training part itself was really helpful um, because we learned the different consonants that different languages have that um, English doesn't. So it really helped me when I moved and started my language learning to kind of grasp certain consonants that I might not have otherwise. So. Mm -hmm. What you mean the phonetics, the, the how you make the yeah. sound? Yeah, like whether it's um, vocalized or I think it's voiced and non-voiced. Yeah, where you're putting kind of a lot of breath into the consonant or not, and Kamai has both. So, so it was good for me to. Yeah, learn the difference. And an awful lot of people don't get that. So that's really, really useful. Excellent. Then you, so you lived in Cambodia for nine years. Is that right? It was about eight years. Eight years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what were the, some of the highlights and what were the lowlights? <laughs> well, I think when I think about Cambodia, I think it was this place to meet God for me. Um, there were so many things I learned about God and about myself. Um, during that time there. So it's this kind of special eight years in my mind with that, but um, specifically letting God, he kind of showed me my voice and my skills, things that I didn't really know before. And that prepared me for this transition back to America where I can use those skills in editing. And I think too, when we look back, um, our international community was a huge highlight. So we were part of an international church. There were between 30 and 40 nations worshiping there um, every Sunday. And the worship was good and the teaching was good and the fellowship was good. Um, and so much of the content that ended up in our book, Serving Well, was really born at that international church. You know, something that I was learning from the teaching, uh, something, how I prayed during the worship time, there was usually a lot of uh, space given to pray during worship time um, or conversations I had with other people. And so I didn't realize it at the time that we were putting the book together, but later um, we had copies of the book and I, 
I looked around at this, this room where all these experiences happened, where I met God so many times. And I thought this book was born in this room. Um, So that was definitely a highlight. Hmm. And then my kids, third culture kids, missionary kids, um, they were part of a homeschool co-op. And so that was really good because they were able to form friendships with other third culture kids um, who it's kind of like third culture kids really get other third culture kids in a way that sometimes if you're not both third culture kids, you don't get each other. It's truly really true. Right. So then let's talk about the homeschooling. Um, what drew you in that direction? Because you said you were doing it even before you went. So what drew you to homeschooling as the way you wanted to go with um, educating your kids? Well, I was a reluctant homeschooler, just like I was a reluctant missionary. It was my husband's idea. <laughs> and he was homeschooled. He thought it was a good experience. I was public schooled. I thought it was a good experience. So I just really didn't have an idea of what it was. Um, I was afraid my children might bother me if I were with them all day long. I was afraid I didn't have the skills to do it. I just, I, I was also afraid that I would kind of become engulfed in it and just homeschooling was the only thing about me. Um, and I didn't want all of my identity to sort of collapse onto that one thing. And so another mom, I don't even think she was a homeschooling mom said, well, why don't you join a co-op meet other people who are homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And I kind of interviewed all the moms um, informally, just asked them so many questions. And I found out that homeschooling families do things very differently from each other. You can really do it the way you want to do it. And it doesn't have to take over your life. It's not the only thing about you. And so that kind of gave me the the courage to try it. Mm -hmm. And then we decided we liked it. That's and good. then when it was time to go to Cambodia, um, we just wanted to continue doing that. We didn't have to transition to it because that can mm-hmm. be hard if you're not homeschooling right. and you need to switch when you move onto the field because not everyone lives in a city where there's an international school and the international schools can be somewhat expensive. So we just, we were able to save money doing that mm-hmm. and it fit our family. So. Right. And presumably help the whole transition for them because it wouldn't have been that much different from what they were used to already. Mm. Right. And that is why we continued homeschooling when we came back from Cambodia to keep everything as, as much the same as possible. Right. Yeah. So, but <clears throat> I mean, I, I think you would agree that educating your kids on the field is about the biggest challenge that any family with kids has to face. Um, and there are lots of different options. So, um, I mean, for us, I really struggled with it, but we landed up sending our kids um, to boarding school. And um, I'd also been sent to boarding school. So, and and kind of the the, the feeling of judgment on myself sometimes and, and the, the unspoken judgments of others. So that's one option. Um, but there were lots of things that were good about that for our kids. Lots of things also that weren't so great. Um, but then there's also international school, there's um, local school, and there's sending your kids back to family at, uh, at, at home. I mean, ha- what would you recommend or have you recommended to people when they've, um, when they've come to you asking about homeschooling or what, about what other <laughs> possible way they could do it? I mean, I could not have homeschooled. I tried it. 
for about um, six weeks and said, no, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I know that every family is different. So when someone comes to me asking for advice, all I'm going to say is, you know, this is how we did homeschooling. These are some of the options for homeschooling. Every family does it differently. Um, but I know that it doesn't fit everyone. It's interesting that you say you, you received judgment for the boarding school option. I sometimes felt that with the homeschooling option because mm -hmm. we had a couple really good international schools in our city. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that some people thought that I should not be homeschooling and should be sending them to school. So I think that women in general we can struggle with... with each other and we <laughs> yes. tend to get on our high horses <laughs> we, right so we can judge other people but also we feel a lot of condemnation from other moms um but yeah I think we just have to remember that we are all different and every family is different and every situation is different so there aren't as many boarding schools now but there are still a few um and if you live in a city I think an international school, whether it's a secular international school or it's um, a missionary kids school is, is a good option. And we've known people who, you know, they worked in the provinces and homeschooled when their kids were younger. And when their kids got into high school, they moved to the city uh, so they could send their kids there. So that's one way some families do it. Um, uh, some places, I think it's illegal to homeschool. So, oh, uh, so I think you can't. Um, in some European countries. Mm -hmm. So you need to send your kids to local schools in those places. Mm -hmm. um, and then some families do kind of a combination of their homeschooling, but they also want to send their kids to a local school, maybe part-time so they can get the language there. So there's just a lot of options. I think Amy Medina talked about all the options on the Life Overseas blog, but you summarized them really well. Well, at least the, the fact of the matter is that there's no blueprint. <laughs> you know, there's no sort of book in the sky that where everybody says, okay, well, that's what we're going to do now. You just have to right. really hear from God, don't you? And um, yes, and then be yes, willing exactly. to just trust him that he's got your kids mm -hmm. um, for their futures and whatever they're going to be mm -hmm. needing in the future. So that's good. Thank you. Nice to share that. I stumbled across A Life Overseas. I don't know how, uh, but as soon as I did, I thought, wow, what a resource, you know, so such honest writing, so um, on the ball for a lot of the issues that, that people are facing. So how did you get involved in that? And and you were, and then you took on the role of, um, of main editor, is that right? Yes. And that was just a series of volunteer opportunities, um, a long series. So um, it was started, I think, in 2012 by two missionaries, uh, Angie Washington and Laura Parker. And it, it was started as a collective blog. So many missionaries contributing to it. I don't think I really knew about it at the time. At some point, my husband had found out about it and he submitted a guest post. Uh, this was maybe late 2013. And they looked at our website and saw that we both were writing and asked us both to guest post. And then a few months later invited us to write regularly. So we did that for several years. Um, early on, I think I remember volunteering, hey, I can fix your typos and your commas. Um, so just kind of offering to proofread. And uh, they said, sure. And so I started doing that. And then 
a while later when the two founders were both repatriating uh, to their passport country, they needed someone to, to help run the site. And I, when I repatriated, I understood why, because it's really, it's a really big project to, to change cultures uh, again. So I was like, oh, this is why I totally understand what was going on. Um, so at that point, Marilyn Gardner took over the lead editor and she had been guest editing. She asked me to, to do that. So I did that for about a year. And then about a year later, Marilyn asked me, would you take over the lead editing job? And I said, okay. So that's what I've been doing since 2016. I've been kind of running the whole the whole thing. So um, you and Jonathan share very honestly about topics that many shy away from. <laughs> Mental health issues, including eating disorders, um, sexual pleasure and dysfunction in marriage, and politics in the church are some of the subjects that came to mind when I thought about that. Um, <laughs> and I just wondered, I mean, speaking as someone from the field, I really value people sharing honestly about, you know, stuff. And so I'm always grateful when, when I come across, you know, honest sharing from the heart. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just wondering whether, you know, people from home, um, loved ones, agency people, do, do people ever give you flack for the stuff that you share? Well, I think How there's always a risk. I do. Sorry. <laughs> There's always a risk, I think, when you share very vulnerably um, that someone's going to reject you or judge you um, or withdraw their support. Um, very early on, I started blogging just as a way to process culture shock. And so I was just being very honest. I'm not sure I know any other way to live. Um, so that was just kind of part of, of what what we did, we spoke honestly. I remember those first few weeks in Cambodia were really bad. And I was very honest with our supporters about this is really bad and this is really hard. And they said back things like, well, you know what, now when things are good, we're gonna believe you because you were very honest about the bad. And I was like, That's okay. Brilliant. <laughs> um, but so I think that was always a part of, of our ministry is just sharing honestly. Um, when it comes to trickier conversations um, in the past several years, I don't like conflict myself. So I don't post controversial things for myself. Um, I will only write publicly about something that I think is important is going to help someone else. And so I'm doing it from a posture of I'm not doing it for me, for my platform, but I want other people to see that they're not alone in struggling with whatever they're struggling yeah. with and to give them hope. And I think my husband comes from that same posture. He has an, an added dimension to it where he sits with people um, doing pastoral care and coaching, and he hears many heartbreaking stories. So when it comes to ways people have been wounded in the church, um, he has many stories in the back of his head and when he shares about, you know, abuse by church leaders, things like that, he's doing it for those people. Mm -hmm. And so of course, yes, you can get some negative feedback publicly, especially from people you don't know. And that's the thing about sharing online is people mm -hmm. you don't know can interact with you. 
but the number of private messages that are positive and grateful greatly outweigh that. So I think that that's kind of where we're coming from. It's like, we are doing this for other people, even Mm -hmm. though yes, sometimes, sometimes feels risky. Right. Well, I mean, I know having raised five daughters, um, I know that eating disorders are a real issue for young girls, especially these days. I mean, not only girls. Mm. Um, so I, I know, I, w- I wish that had, that had been around, you know, what you shared about your own story had been around when our kids mm. were younger. Um, but, you know, one of them was a model and, um, you know, for a number of years in New York and, you know, all that goes with that, she went through, she, she's come through amazingly well. But um, yeah, it's it needs talking about. It needs um, the willingness to just, especially when you've got a story where you you've come through, um, to so as you say, to give hope, to give um, you know, this isn't something that's going to blight your life forever, or even for people looking on, that you know you're not going to have to support someone fighting mm. that forever if you know if they really are willing to, yeah, do the work. So thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you won't have been alone in facing the sudden reversal of um, what brought COVID brought into people's lives. Um, so you had what led you to decide that you needed to leave at that point? And I, I did gather already that it that it was a tough return. So, um, you know, t- tell us how that went for you. Sure. Yeah. So we had planned to have a furlough in 2020. That was always our plan. Um, We had a complicated visa and passport situation at the time, and that was not supposed to be a problem because we had solved it before on furloughs, getting our passports renewed and then getting visas. So our, our visas were month to month because our passports were about to expire. But we could still get to America and do it all there. That was our plan. Um, And then COVID was a thing in Asia before it was a thing in America. So we were watching it since January um, of 2020 and it didn't really become a thing in in America till March. So we were, our plan was to leave sometime in April, but as it just accelerated and spread more, we bumped up our trip to March. So we actually left and we flew through Taiwan. We were some of the last flights through Taiwan in the, in the middle of March. Everything was canceled. Thankfully, our flights didn't get canceled. Yeah. Um, Tell me about it. Was, it. It, was, it was so strange. It was yeah. like the world was literally shutting down. And we came through and we were so glad that we, we got through. Our plan was to return four months later. It was supposed to be a four-month furlough. And I just assumed that four months would be enough for this to pass through. I mean, I think I'd looked at models of, you know, what we thought was going to happen. And I thought, surely it will be done, but it really wasn't done. This started to dawn on us a couple months in um, because we couldn't get our passports uh, renewed. And then the consulate was closed for getting visas. Um, So there was just a very complicated situation. Um, it was hard to get back in. You had to have a lot of negative COVID tests. You had to pay a lot of money for your quarantine. Mm-hmm. So we were looking at the details and just 
thinking, well, we knew we had an end date in Cambodia. It was 2022 because our son was going to graduate and we had planned to kind of end our time there at least for a year, help him get settled and then reevaluate what we were doing, um, where we we're going to serve in the world. And uh, we just thought how if we wait too long to go back, we won't really have a term of ministry. And so it felt very unfair at the time, but I also saw the details. I, I understood the situation. And so we made that very difficult decision. Mm. Um, I was in a lot of emotional pain. I had a hard time in the beginning seeing that this was happening to missionaries all over the world. Because right. at the time, I was just so focused on my own loss of the life we had over there um, and the dreams we had. Uh, but over time... I was able to realize that this happened to so many people. They got locked out of their countries. They got stuck in their countries or they were stuck in their houses during stay at home orders and they couldn't do ministry in the same way they had done before. So it really affected missionaries all over the world in some way or another. I don't think there's anyone who wasn't affected. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. Um, with, the whole COVID thing, um, uh, my feeling is there are an awful lot of people who um, are still waiting for, you know, what mm. what what can we do now? You know, so, uh, I mean, have you any suggestions for people who, um, to, as to, well, how did you get through it yourself? You know, the, the whole, you know, what do we do now question? Uh, the shock of re-entry or the actual decision? Well, both, both actually, okay. the shock of re-entry. When it's an unplanned for re-entry, it's always yes. harder. Yes, then, as far um, as the issue of how you came through. Sorry? As far as the decision making, I really feel like that's individual. And I think very early on in COVID, someone wrote on a life overseas, like, we just need to give everyone grace because everyone's situation is different. So some people will try to get back in, some people will stay, and some people will leave. And we just just need to give everyone grace. They're doing the best they can. And so when it comes to decision making, that's that's about all I have for that. It's, like, it's very individual. You just have to uh, try to discern it yourself. But if you are in the middle of a an unplanned re-entry, that was the situation I found myself in. And I did not know at the time. I think I found out later. Someone told me that it takes about two years to go through a re-entry process. I cannot remember who told me that. I had already come through it. Um, and... I thought to myself, well, if I'd known that ahead of time, I wouldn't have felt so frustrated with myself, so frustrated at the situation. I, I would have given myself a lot more grace. Um, it took me a full year to really accept what had happened. So I was in some form of denial, um, not like I knew that this was my new life, but I wasn't happy about it. I just kept thinking, oh, if this had never happened, um, if COVID had never happened. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. so many people are asking that question, right? What would life have been like? Um, but I I had about, had three separate times where I really cried a lot, um, like day after day for like a month, for weeks on end. Um, I remember June, 2020, was that was shortly after we made the decision. I went on a lot of solo walks. I cried a lot. I woke up every morning crying. I would wake up. I would remember who I was and where I was. And I would just start crying. 
no, no matter how much I'd cried the day before, I would just start again. I, I'm sure my husband was worried about me, wondering when this would pass. And after about a month, I really thought I was fine. I was better. I had grieved it. Um, but it did come back in October, November that year when we were trying to buy a house. And um, so there was a lot of grief and fear associated with that. Um, I went on a lot of solo walks again. Um, looking back now, I think there was probably a hormonal aspect to some of my grief. So I'm 41 now. So I was just about to turn 40 and your hormones start to shift as a woman when you head into your forties. And I think that I was extra emotional. Of course, it is a very big transition to move countries and not be able to say goodbye in person. But I think that was an added layer to it. And then I cried again, February, 2021. And I, that time, I think I cried so hard and for so long that I got scared that I was never going to be okay. And that's when I reached out for help. So I had a contact of a person who did debriefing and I reached out to her because I knew I needed help. Um, and I was able to meet with her a few times and that was enough to get me to our planned formal debriefing, which was in August. It was about a year after we had moved back, which is a good time to do a formal debriefing. Right. So that was very helpful. By that time, I had kind of settled in. I had started to make friends. We had settled into a local church. I had come to accept it all. So for me, it took me a whole year to accept, oh, I'm here. This is my life. And then probably 18 months you know, from beginning to end. So six more months to really learn to love my new life, the life God was building for me. Um, so now I do love it, um, but it would have been helpful to know earlier on that it's a long process. It's okay. going to take longer than a year. Right. Well, we're, we're taking note because Ross and I are going to do our final transition back from Taiwan next year. <laughs> mm. He's turning 80 in April. Mm. So we are, we've announced that we will leave, um, but that this is planned for, and we're going to try and do our best to do what we've taught people about, you know, building a raft and, you know, doing mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So, you know, it's up to us to follow through on what we've been, <laughs> what we've been sharing. No, but when it has, when it gets thrust upon you like that, it must be extremely tough. I know my sister had a, um, she had a brain tumor, a benign one, but she literally from one day to the next had to go back to England and then wasn't able to return. Uh, yeah. She's been back a few times since, but you know, that it was extremely hard because it was unplanned, you know, and and obviously the shocking in itself mm -hmm. you know, to have that kind of thing thrust on you. So anyway. Yeah. As well as sharing through blogs and podcasts, you've become authors. So I mean, tell us a bit about the books you've written. I love the one, your hats one. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so we started blogging. Like I said earlier, I started blogging just as a way to process transition uh, when we first moved there in 2012. Um, and it seemed to resonate with people. So I just kind of kept doing it. About a year later, my husband started writing on the blog. And we have very different styles. Um, and that was a point of tension for a while. And my impression of him being um so much more popular and better loved than i was 
I had a lot of work to do on who I was, whether God loves me. So that, that was, that was a big point of tension for us mm-hmm. for a while. And yes, then I did work through some of those things and I wrote about them. Um, and after that, we were able to really work on writing together as a, as a partnership and we help each other. We read each other's work. Um, we accept that we are very, we have very different styles and, um, and we celebrate each other's, uh, wins. Um, so that, that was, that was early on, but, um, as far as the book goes, so he put together, a com- a compilation of several of the articles, both of us had written into kind of a workbook, a slim little self-published workbook. And he called it a 41 because oh. that was kind of the focus, his life focus for about two decades now. And it stands for all for one, like all for God. And so our, our blog name, uh, trotters for one.com, it looks like the number 41, but it stands for four one, like all for God. Um, so he, he named it that. And then we had some friends who had contacts in the publishing world and they said, you need to get this published by a publisher. And so they helped us get in touch with, with the publisher and that's where serving well came from. So it's the, it has a short title and a long subtitle. It is serving well help for the wannabe newbie or weary cross-cultural Christian worker. Mm-hmm. So, and we worked on that together. He actually came up with the title and I came up with the subtitle and we put them together. Um, so I think that published in 2019 was the mm-hmm. official year it published. And then hats, which is my musings on motherhood and womanhood and ministry. Um, he self-published that it was his mother's day gift to me in 2018. Mm-hmm. And he said <laughs> he thought I had helped people and he wanted to put it together. And so that was his gift to me. And I give that out as gifts to young mothers a lot of times. So moms who come to me asking um, questions about homeschooling, I'll say there's a section in homeschooling on here. Um, So just so they know they're not alone, because a lot of these issues are um, universal and they are timeless and I think that's why so many years after we wrote the articles, people will still read the book and say, oh, I really related to this situation. And the situation is long past for me. And sometimes I will have forgotten about it and they'll, but it's real for them. It's like right there in the moment, because we're all, all humans. We are all dealing with the same issues. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, I think we've probably come to the end of our time but I just want to say um, if people wanted to contact you if anyone does want to do that you can at least contact through our website because uh, Elizabeth and Jonathan are very kindly partnering with us so we've got their their a, a link to their family blog their personal blog trotters for one and a link to a life overseas and also to some counseling um, links that you've put together so if any of that uh, any of what Elizabeth has shared, you can go to the website and find those. But if they wanted to contact you personally, would there be any way of doing that? Or would you feel that you might get overwhelmed by too many? <laughs> no, sure. I would love to hear from people. Um, so my husband and I are both on Facebook and most of our posts are public. So you can follow us there. Um, I'm Elizabeth Trotter. He's Jonathan Trotter. Um, 
he's also on Instagram. I think it's Trotters for One, which is the name of the blog, I think is also the Instagram. Um, he doesn't do everything public there because it sometimes has photos of our children and we kind of try to keep those um, not public. Um, but also you can find us online, trottersforone.com. And you can also email me. So I am emarietrotter at gmail.com. And he's trottersforone at gmail.com. So yeah, we're always happy to hear from people by email. That's lovely. Well, thanks so much for sharing. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been a lot. There's so much. And it's always a joy to, to hear people's stories. Everyone, as you've said a number of times, everyone is unique. But the, you know, what we do share um, of, especially the tough stuff on the field, I think it really, it, it, it opens up the possibility for, for further conversation and for really dealing with personal things that um, that you might not necessarily find the help for anywhere else. So thank you very much for doing that. And um, thank you for giving us food for thought. Thank you for having me. It has so, been a joy to get to know you. Yeah, good. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for today. Thanks very much for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this interview, then please share it um, and uh, like us on Facebook if you go on there and uh, check out the Trotters. So do it on our member care page or in the, the ways that um, Elizabeth's already mentioned. And we'll put the links probably at the bottom of this um, talk so you can find it there. Okay, that's it then. Bye-bye and God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.